We turn this morning to the book of Lamentations. As the name implies, it's a lament. It's a kind of a sad book as we read about the destruction of Jerusalem. But in the midst of this book, there's a very familiar passage of Scripture that gives us hope when it seems hopeless. I want to begin reading at verse 17 of Lamentations chapter 3 and read through verse 26. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. As surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of of the Lord. Many years ago, a pastor walked into a hospital room to visit a lady from his congregation. And when he entered the room, she was sitting in her bed, deeply sobbing. And her pastor asked her, why are you crying? And she said, there's no hope for me. The doctor had just left the room and told her that she was not going to live. She would die very soon. In fact, he was very crude in the way he said it to her. He said, you won't need a next year's calendar. Thankfully, the pastor was able to share the gospel with this woman. He was able to point her to Jesus, that in Jesus there is hope. And that day she experienced the eternal hope, the living hope that we have because of Jesus. If you read through the book of Lamentations, you will notice that things seemed very hopeless for the people of Judah. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians, and this whole book then discusses the pain and heartache that the people experienced. But in this third chapter of Lamentations, there is a ray of hope for God's people. In the midst of famine and destruction and death and captivity, God's loving kindness, his compassion, and his faithfulness really breaks through in a wonderful way. Verse 24 of our text says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. There are three very wonderful lessons we learn about hope in our text today. The first one is this, when affliction is present... Hope has a way of perishing. In the first few chapters of Lamentations, Jeremiah focuses on what affliction has done to his people as a whole. He talks about the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the city, and what what the nations have done to the people of Judah. He says the roads are desolate. Nobody comes to the religious feasts. Nobody comforts them. None of their allies are there to help them. Their enemies are actually glad about their suffering. 
It's quite a discouraging picture. Here in chapter 3, it becomes really very personal for Jeremiah. He begins in verse 1 by saying, I am the man who has seen affliction. And much of this chapter, especially the first part of it, is filled with words like me and my. In fact, in the first 20 verses, you find Jeremiah mentioning me or my himself over 30 times. So Jeremiah isn't speaking here about what he had heard. He, is descri- he isn't describing what people told him. This was his personal experience. And it was obviously very, very difficult. Now, we know from many places in the Old Testament that what the people were experiencing at this time was, was due to their sin. They had refused to listen to the warning of the prophets like Jeremiah. As a result, God was disciplining them and Jeremiah was afflicted among them. Listen to how he describes it. Verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness, not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I've become a laughing stock to all my people. They're mocking song all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. What a terrible display of of hopelessness. And the result then in verse 18, he says, So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Notice that he says there's no hope in the situation. It's gone. This situation is so bad, there is absolutely no hope. One author puts it this way, beaten, broken, imprisoned, mauled, shot, mocked, trampled, reeling under such a battery of injuries, Jeremiah reaches the point of total despair. Bereft of any kind of well-being, he has forgotten what goodness might ever be like. The future has evaporated along with any hope he had from God. Let me remind you, this is Jeremiah speaking. This is a prophet of God. This is a man who loved the Lord and knew what God's goodness was, and yet he came to the point 
He said, my hope is gone. Affliction and trouble and difficulty caused him to say, I have no hope. So if Jeremiah knew what it was to feel hopeless, we shouldn't be surprised that there are times when we feel hopeless as well. When affliction is present, hope can perish. The second lesson we learn, when God is remembered, hope revives. With his hope gone, the memories that Jeremiah had were painful ones. Notice what he remembers, verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. One author describes these memories as ones that arise unbidden. It is the natural, emotional, and psychological reaction to great trauma, especially the shattering violence of war, the well-attested phenomenon of unwanted flashbacks and nightmares. So it's not just little children that have nightmares. Uh, Jeremiah is describing these, these unbidden uh, times of, of remembering the, the destruction and the pain and the heartache of what happened when the Babylonians came and just literally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. But there's another kind of memory that we need to see here. It is the deliberate, determined choice of the mind. It's not that we happen to remember something, but we choose to remember. Look at verse 21. This, he says, I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Hebrew phrase here is literally, this I cause to return to my heart. Jeremiah's hope had left him and he knew that it needed to return. So he chose to recall to his mind some very important things. What are those things? Look at verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. So Jeremiah's hope was clearly not in his circumstances. It wasn't anything that he could do to change things. He already told us in verse 18 that his strength had perished. His hope was in the Lord. And in particular, there were three things that that really brought him hope. It was his love, his compassion, and his faithfulness. Notice how he puts it. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed Never cease. Notice how he uses the plural here. It isn't just one expression of God's loving kindness. It is many expressions of God's loving kindness. His loving kindnesses. Even God's discipline upon His people is a proof of His love. Hebrews 12 makes that clear. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by Him for those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. That's exactly what the people of Jerusalem were going through. They were being disciplined by God because He loved them. 
Now, children don't fully grasp that, do they? If you tell them, I am going to discipline you because I love you. It's just like, what? What do you mean? Well, we understand that, right? As parents, we need to discipline our children because we love them. But when the Lord disciplines us, then it's a little different, isn't it? We don't fully grasp that. Wait a minute, Lord. What are you doing? You're merciful. You're gracious. You shouldn't discipline me. The Lord says, I love you. And therefore, I discipline you. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. He goes on to say, the Lord's compassions never fail. And again, we see the plural. And to emphasize that they never fail, he says they, they are there every day. They are new every morning. Every time you get up in the morning, say, Lord, your compassion is for me today. They never fail. And God's faithfulness, great is Thy faithfulness. So this is a turning point in in Jeremiah's life. His hope is being revived because he remembers the Lord. He calls it to mind. He chooses to remember those things about God that are always true. Always true. And that's quite amazing when you consider all that he has said in the first part of the chapter. He doesn't deny those feelings of hopelessness, but he isn't drowning in them. He doesn't pretend that they aren't there, but he isn't overcome by them. So there are times when our our feelings are, are, are feelings of hopelessness. And those are real feelings. But because of Jesus, we don't drown in them. We're not overcome by them. Because we recall who God is. We remember those attributes of our God that in the midst of all the the, the situations of life, He still loves us. He cares for us. And His faithfulness is great. So what does this mean? That things are going to get better immediately? (laughs) Jeremiah isn't counting on that. In verse 25, he says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the person who seeks Him, it is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. There's a a time to cry out to the Lord, certainly, and Jeremiah has done that. But there's a time to be silent and to wait. To wait upon God for Him to act in His time and in His way. And if the God who disciplines His people is good to those who wait for Him, then discipline can't be the last word. There must be a future that is worth waiting for. And that's the conclusion that Jeremiah comes to as he recalls to mind who God is. Verse 31, For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. You know, when we're in the midst of affliction, it's it's hard to see that, isn't it? But when we recall to mind who God is, hope begins to revive. I don't know if any of you have seen on, on YouTube this little video of David at the dentist. 
I looked this morning and it has over 139 million views. <laughs> and it becomes uh, very popular. And so the little boy sit in the back seat and his father is videoing him as he comes out of anesthesia at the dentist. And he's just going through just all kinds of weird feelings. And, you know, he says, I got four fingers and all kinds of stuff. And then he cries out. He says, why is this happening to me? And then he says, is this going to be forever? (laughs) His dad says, no, it's not going to be forever. Sometimes in the midst of, of trials, it's just like... Is this going to go on forever? Is this ever going to end? And God's word says, yes, it will, as we wait upon him. And that's the answer that God, uh, Jeremiah, received from the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait silently for the salvation of the Lord. There's a third lesson we learn here about hope. When sin remains, hope delays. Jeremiah makes it clear that the people of Judah and Jerusalem were facing affliction because of their sin. Therefore, they shouldn't complain because they had no one to blame but themselves. Ever blamed God for something you brought upon yourself? Look at verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? In other words, we should never blame God for what we have brought upon ourselves. Instead of complaining about the consequences of sin, Jeremiah tells the people, it's time to repent of your sin. Verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. So Jeremiah gives a picture here of of what repentance is. Repentance is is deep self-examination. He says that repentance is examining and probing our ways. The word probe is kind of an interesting word. It's the same Hebrew word translated search in Psalm 139, that very familiar psalm where David ends the psalm and says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, probe. Uh, show me if there's, if there's any wicked way within me. We, we need God to do that searching in our hearts because our hearts... Uh, Being sinful, we don't really want to see the depths of our sin. So God needs to probe us to examine our our hearts. But there's another part to repentance that is just as important. Repentance is returning to the Lord. It's making a 180. We were traveling in one direction away from the Lord, but now we turn around and we run toward Him. That's what repentance is. That's the message that Jeremiah was preaching to the people of Jerusalem for decades. For about 40 years, he was preaching, you've got to turn to God. You are, you are following the idols of this world. You need to turn to God. And they didn't listen. They paid a terrible price for it. So the question is, would they finally listen now? 
Would they be sorry for their sins? Or is their sorrow just that they are suffering the consequences of sin? Sometimes we're sorry, not because we've sinned, but we're sorry, (laughs) sorry, because it's painful, the consequences of our sin. We have reaped what we sowed. You get the impression that genuine repentance had not yet occurred because God had not yet forgiven them. Verse 42, we have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. So it was just an acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, we've sinned, but they had not really returned to the Lord. So what Jeremiah had asked them to do had, had not yet happened. And what I find interesting here is that Jeremiah, as the prophet, he leads them in repentance. Notice how he includes himself. He says in verse 40, let us examine. Let us return. It wasn't someone else's problem. It wasn't those guys out there. He said it's us. Let us return to the Lord. You know, we look at our nation today. It's easy to say it's those people out there, right? It's those people out there. What about us? What about us who know the Lord? Huh? We're not uh, at all a part of the problem in our world today. Who are we kidding? Let us examine. Let us return. And you can see the deep concern that Jeremiah had for his people. He is known as the weeping prophet. Here's an example of that. Verse 48, My eyes run down with streams of water. Because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, my eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. Why is he weeping? He's weeping because the people have abandoned God. They are experiencing the consequences of their sin. And he is praying that God will look down from heaven, that God will restore them, that God will bring them back to himself. Jeremiah believed that the Lord was going to look down from heaven, that he was going to restore his people. But there must first be genuine repentance. There can be no real hope If sin remains unconfessed, when sin remains, hope delays. The final lesson is a wonderful thing. When redemption is assured, hope is restored. In this last section of the chapter, Jeremiah expresses His assurance that God is going to redeem His people from those who oppress them. Notice how many times He confidently says to the Lord, You will. You will. Verse 64. You will recompense them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them hardness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. There is no doubt in Jeremiah's mind. He believes that God is going to redeem His people. Of that he is sure. So why was he sure? I think there's a couple reasons. Jeremiah is sure that God will redeem his people because God had already personally redeemed him. 
And notice how he recounts in, in his own life what God had done. Verse 52, he says, My enemies, without cause, hunted me down like a bird. They have silenced me in the pit and placed a stone on me. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. There's no hope for me. He's describing, I think, what happened in chapter 38 of Jeremiah when he was thrown into a cistern for supposedly discouraging the people. And so here he is in this cistern, and look at what he does. Verse 55. He says, I called on your name. O Lord, out of the lowest pit, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. When Jeremiah was taken out of that pit, he was restored. And so as you, as you look at his thought process in this section, it's really important. He moves from what God has done in his life to what God will do in the lives of His people. So He's assured, God, You're the God of redemption. You redeemed me. I cried out to You from the pit. You redeemed me. God, I believe You will do that for My people too. You redeemed me. You can redeem us. That's one reason why He was confident. And then Jeremiah is sure that God will redeem His people because redemption is consistent with God's nature. Listen again to what he says. Verse 22, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Why? The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. That's the key, isn't it? There it is. I have hope in Him. So let me ask you today, where where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is your hope in your job? I'll tell you what, a job can be taken away just like that. We have millions of people in our country who have experienced that in the last few weeks. Is your hope in your bank account? In your retirement account? I'll tell you what, things can go down really quickly in that way. Is your hope in your health? That's something we can't count on. Is it in your circumstances? They can change in a moment. If your hope is in any of these things, I'll tell you what, you're living on shaky ground. And when something happens that shakes your world, you are going to be in trouble. And we've seen that in our country, in our world, haven't we, these last few weeks? People who don't have Jesus, when things are taken away from them, it is fear, it is desperation, it is hopelessness. That's why our hope must be in something other than these things. It must be in the Lord. But even worse than that, we are going to come to the end of the road someday. And then if we don't have hope in Jesus, we will have no hope at all. Vernon Grounds, writing in Our Daily Bread, said, When atheistic communism was a world-menacing power, 
It proclaimed that there is no God. Faith in any future life is a deceptive illusion. Then he describes the funeral of Leonid Brezhnev, the Soviet dictator. Vice President George H.W. Bush represented our country at that funeral. Very solemn, formal ceremony. And Bush says that while the casket was open before the soldiers came and closed it, Brezhnev's widow just stood there and stared at his body. And just before the casket was closed, she reached down to him and, mind you, made the sign of the cross over his dead body. She evidently hoped that what her husband had vehemently denied might somehow be true. The good news is that what Leonid Brezhnev denied is true. Jesus is our hope. He is our only hope, both in life and in death. And that's what Jeremiah experienced as he saw the destruction of his city. He realized that his only hope was in the Lord. And that is what we need to experience today as well. We need to know that Jesus is our hope. When things seem to be totally hopeless, our hope is found in Him. Is Jesus your hope today? Have you put your trust in Him Jesus is the only one who can give us hope when it seems to be hopeless. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in those seasons of life, when it seems like hope has perished, it has vanished, when difficulty, when trials, when troubles, when affliction, when sickness, when sorrow comes our way, Lord, help us like Jeremiah to recall to mind who you are, that you are loving, you are compassionate, you are faithful, and we find our hope in you. So, Lord, use this word today to bring encouragement and strength and hope, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.